So, yeah, that was a pretty good one, guys. This is the Evil Podcast of Evil, the only show on the internet that talks about Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog because it's so old and everyone's forgotten about it. Except us. Me. I'm one of the hosts, Tyler Boudreau. I'm the other host, Contra Boudreau. We have a very special guest today, Mr. Travis Bowe. Welcome. Hello there. Thanks for having me. Whoa. Whoa. (laughs) Wait. Wait. I'm sorry. I thought we were supposed to have Travis Bowe, but we have Obi-Wan Kenobi here. (laughs) Amazing. (laughs) How's it going, guys? Obi-Wan, what brings you into the, the future? Uh, you know, just here to talk some evil. Amazing. Uh, Joining are, the dark are you side. more well-versed in evil <laughs> Yeah, just, uh, you know, dabbing my foot into the, the dark side. Casual dip. Yeah. Are you a gray Jedi? Uh, we'll find out. <laughs> uh, I, I never watched the Clone Wars or anything. I would never know. So... so- so, Dr. Horrible's sing-along blog is what we're talking about. Uh, this is a segment of the show that goes from minute, 7 minutes, 26 seconds to 11 minutes, 15 seconds. It starts with Penny singing uh, the song Caring Hands, and it ends with Billy slash Dr. Horrible saying, She talked to me. Why'd she talk to me now? Travis, I guess we usually start with just kind of asking you what you like about Dr. Horrible, and then we kind of get into the nitty-gritty of the segment. Sure. What brings you here to this show? Well, as soon as I found out you guys were doing Dr. Horrible, I instantly reached out and just said, please let me be a part of this, because this series is just, a, it was a perfect surprise when it came out. You know, I remember either watching it directly after it had finished, either on YouTube or I forget where it initially premiered. But I watched it as soon as I could. And then, you know, as soon as it was available to own, had to have it. I've got the standalone uh, music in iTunes. And it's just one of those things that I can go back to. It's always fun to revisit. Yeah, that, that's kind of a, been a common thread yeah. with our the people we've talked to, Condra, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And it's funny how different people at different stages in their life when they interact with it, and it still means something to them today. Yeah. Which I think is just the power of a very strong story, which Dr. Horrible is. Yeah. Relevant, it, even today. Yeah. He's such a likable, in a weird way, likable character, and so endearing, especially in this first segment or first chapter. It's mostly him doing the blog, and you just get this window into this character who you feel sad for. And, you know, as soon as he starts talking about Penny, you know, you just want this guy to end up with the girl, and, and you know, we'll, we'll see if he does. <laughs> But yeah, and then just here we get, is this the first time we see, no, it's the second time we see Penny, I think. This is yeah. the first time we see Penny in what we assume is real life. Sure, the last sure. time we saw her was a dream sequence, so. Yeah, yeah, just, uh, yeah, so, I'm just going to ramble on more about how Please. endearing of a, of a character Dr. Horrible is and just Neil Patrick Harris in general. I don't think it would work with another actor that doesn't have as much charisma as Neil Patrick Harris has, which mm-hmm. I thought thought was kind of odd considering the character doesn't have a lot of charisma but we still yeah just at least i just just want to hug this guy and say you know you know <laughs> i don't know yeah put a put in that we'll we'll think about like if we had to recast dr horrible whom we would cast as billy that might be a fun thing to come back to mm. we we, have we th- come here to uh yeah Kendra? i have an instant thought kumail okay. kumail yeah. Anjani. yes He'd be good. My instant thought was Paul Rust, but I think Kamel might be better. Paul 
rest would be good. Uh, though. You said you said Paul Rust, and I thought you were going to say Paul Rudd, and I, <laughs> that also sounds kind of fun. Yeah. I, although well, I do well, entirely agree, we've gone on and on about Neil Patrick Harris and how he is kind of perfect, and I think he has some acting choices in this scene in particular that I think help excel his <laughs> likability. Yeah. Or or not. Maybe we'll 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 figure that out. So we cut to kind of a piano playing, and we we see Felicia Day as Penny standing on a street corner handing out flyers singing her song called caring hands the lyrics are will you lend a caring hand to shelter those who need it and everyone's just kind of walking by her paying no attention to her jumping out to me the first comment i would have to make on this scene is the uh the fakeness of the set does that that, did that strike you guys oh yeah for me it was wow this is a real type real scenario trying to (laughs) hand out something no one wants (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I like how non-aggressive she is, you know, about how she goes about trying to get these signatures. It's just, it fits the character uh, as we'll meet her. But yeah, I, I see, I know what you mean, Tyler, about the, the set. It does instantly, it feels like watching shows like How I Met Your Mother with Neil Patrick Harris, like all their exteriors, you know, felt very, the, the same exact set. That's that, that's actually what I thought of is when, uh, in How I Met Your Mother, when they do the uh, Nothing Suits You Like a Suit music number it feels very much like yeah. a fake city block just like this one yeah and i like what i forget who said it but about no no one really paying attention to penny and just it's it makes kind of an interesting moment because with when you have musicals it's kind of like this thing where someone's singing and you don't really know if people in the world know that that person is singing so do you think that penny's actually singing this or do you think it's kind of put on for the musical I don't think she's really singing. I think most of the songs, yeah, tend to just be them speaking. That's, I think that's how I understand most musicals seem to be. But yeah, I, I think especially when she um, approaches Billy here in the next few minutes and, you know, kind of picks up that musical cadence again just by asking him for a signature. And again, I think it's just meant to be her speaking. Yeah, I mean, I agree in general. I, I in, in general, in this in this movie, the, uh, the singing is inorganic although I, it should be noted that Joss Whedon notably did the uh, episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where everyone gets stuck in a musical and the implication of that is that they're all actually singing songs in real life and I, I don't think we should sleep on the idea that people are actually singing musical numbers mm. in quote unquote real life because it's very delightful to think about <laughs> so yeah so we kind of cut away from Penny whom no one is paying attention to to Billy who's kind of lurking as it were uh, even the camera won't pay attention to her <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> oh, good point, Kondra. Savage. Um, um <laughs> No, but I I want to go back to that cadence that she that sing-songiness that she has cuz I totally do that when I'm trying to get someone's attention like at the front desk of my job. I tend to take on it's it's not an intentional sing-song, but like it tends to catch people's attention and I think she could genuinely be having a certain cadence to her voice or found that this is the right kind of tone to take for her for being comfortable in doing this. She is very very uncomfortable doing this and I think she gets this when she sees Billy and realizes it's him she like eases and you can just see in Felicia Day's like shoulder she just relaxes and it's actually really interesting to think about could it just be like these intense nerves that she's portraying a complete falseness to her. 
I think it. Yeah, also, Kondra, I think you're right. Um, I also think it's interesting that she's seeking these signatures. Not she's not necessarily like deep within an alley, but she's not out on the main intersection sidewalk areas where it's very populated and there you know might be a better chance of you know, more people, more signatures, that sort of thing. She's kind of keeping to this uh, little darker area that is less uh, populated, and I think that's kind of interesting too. Like she's she, it. it adds to her maybe meek meekness yeah yeah i agree although presumably she's just kind of in the neighborhood that the homeless shelter right. like would be built in so that's part of it i mean that's good community awareness to go out and be like this is going to directly impact your neighborhood please support this or don't if you so choose but it's it's an interesting tactic so yeah i kind of want to build us to this conversation between billy and penny but first i want to uh, at least mention billy's kind of strategy to steal the courier van which is he has this kind of unit that he throws and it magically magnetically floats and lands on top of the courier van and he has an app on his phone that's like that can control the car which is fun i i want to i want a car control app that seems like a good time it's called the horrible van remote (laughs) yeah I like that. And that's probably what one of the first iPhones, at least the first models, it seems like. Oh, definitely. Yeah, that was going to be the other thing I say is like, it's a very, it's definitely an early smartphone or even in like an iPod touch or something. I mean, it would have to be a phone to connect like that. Yeah. But Cause I don't think yeah. he's, yeah. He claims to be texting. Mm-hmm. So yeah, he's kind of standing there playing on his phone. And then Travis, as you said, she kind of walks in kind of like singing the song and kind of like a, a short reprise until Neil Patrick Harris like gets spooked and he kind of <laughs> like screams and she kind of gets spooked and then it's all very awkward before we completely jump while uh dr horrible is working on this van remote the score is slipping from later in the movie and i didn't realize it until this rewatch today and i was like oh that is great music like foreshadowing there it was such like a little nod and it was so well done yeah i noticed that a few times throughout rewatching this that you do kind of hear that final uh bit of music a few times yeah the dr horrible theme on its own is very easy to identify because it's in six eight so you can kind of hear the the bounces of three as opposed to all the other music in the show which is usually your general show tune four four time so it has a very clear sign of like evil spooky sound and it's in that that kind of it's in three instead of four so it's it's easy to identify it's a good lurking song yeah. <laughs> uh he's a lurker all right <laughs> oh no what? so penny goes up and breaks <laughs> his concentration and we have their first proper speaking interaction <laughs> and it does not go the way uh, yeah. he wants yeah <laughs> Yeah, Neil Patrick Harris is great because she says, I know you. And he's like, you you do know me. I mean, do you? I mean, I've seen you. Who are you? I love the, uh, she says, you know, the something about the, they do laundry together. And he just instantly says, you know, Wednesdays and Saturdays, except twice last month, you, you skipped the weekend. <laughs> I mean, I, I've <laughs> seen you. <laughs> so it's, that's. Yeah. It's just so it works so well. I think again, mostly because of how great of an actor he is. Um, and I just love how hopeless he comes across. I think to her, he might just seem a little odd once once she starts uh, talking to him, and and he's obviously acting strange and everything. But because we know how like infatuated he is, it kind of rides that creepy line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, you know, I don't know if it would play as well if 
if it was another actor again like i said you know because of how charismatic the actor is i don't like i think that's why it works so well it's very sitcom dialogue too of like a character yeah. like says one thing that they like ooh, it's awkward that they said that and then they kind of self-correct the sort mm-hmm. of thing that you would get that would get noticed in real life but in kind of tv land it just just kind of gets brushed over Mm-hmm. I was thinking about this um, earlier in the movie, or excuse me, uh, web series, but the blinking that he does, mm-hmm. as well as some of his other behaviors, I wonder if other people interpret him as being something like an uh, on the autistic spectrum or something like that, or OCD in some way, or some like sort of learning sure. mental disability, or um, like learning challenge or something like that, where you could definitely read it as that way. And I don't know if that was a choice that it was like, ah, yes, he is meant to be on the outside. People interpret Mm -hmm. him as X, but he's really just really bad at covering up that he's an evil villain. Right. That's that's really interesting. I think if they were doing this today, they might make that choice. I don't think, because what year did this come out? What was this? 2008. Eight, okay. Yeah, I, I don't know if they would make that choice then. If they did, yeah. I think they would lean more in, into it almost being a joke and not treating it like if it were a serious thing or I'm not really sure what I'm what point I'm trying to make, but um, No, that makes sense. I, there's a there's a social anxiety there which is clearly the key component of his character. Yeah, kind of, kind of to keep floating through this conversation between him and Penny. She, she says, I don't know. One of my favorite things in the in the segment of this is, uh, she says, but if we get enough signatures, and he's he kind of just like rolls his eyes and says signatures, <laughs> and she kind of just pauses, <laughs> like like what is he rolling his eyes at? Just like the concept of the word signatures. It's it's just yeah. it's a funny moment. But for them to get two hundred and fifty new beds out of this building, that's actually like a big building. <laughs> thinking about it logistically so yeah hmm. oh yeah and I, I i would not want uh the value of homeless shelters to go under underappreciated here they, uh they're extremely useful because the, usually the function of homeless shelters is not just a place for people to sleep and eat but they're connecting people with jobs and access to counseling or medical needs and just just over the overall good they do for society for anyone who needs it not just kind of like your stereotypical homeless person but anyone who has any sort of home insecurity is just incredibly valuable so good for this fictional character to be in support of it yeah also i love her little i mean she talks about that directly in that she's mentioning there's job training and they get (laughs) rocket packs to go to the moon and become florists and i'm like yes for all of these things yeah, the joke there being that Neil or uh, Billy has kind of stopped paying attention, so she's kind of saying nonsense to see if he's still listening. I like uh, a minute or two later when you know she's talking to him again, and there's this. Uh, she does this perfect emphasis on uh, when she says provide job training. I guess it's right before. Mm-hmm. this um, before the jetpack stuff but uh, yeah she says uh, the way she emphasizes job it's her last attempt at keeping his focus like she says it a little bit louder and just puts more emphasis on it and right as he as she sees that he's about to turn away to look you know at whatever's distracting him she does this nice little flourish on that just a one last attempt at, at just keeping him engaged right before he turns completely and uh, it's it's so sad 
and frustrating, like how rude he is with her when we know how much she means to him. And, you know, we know that this, that he's blowing this first impression moment. And, but that's the, that's, I guess the desire to be evil is maybe, you know, that it's, it's butting heads with how important it is to meet her, I guess. The Spider-Man conundrum. Yeah. 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 I think it's interesting too your point out of the job, her emphasis on job, because I wonder if that is one of her major selling points to try, like what the group kind of came up with as their big reasons to be like, mm-hmm. no, it's not just housing these people, but getting them to be a part of society, which I think is a problem that a lot of folks will think about when they're like, oh, we're just giving handouts to these folks. It's like, no, there's training involved. These are people that come often into unfortunate circumstances that put them behind what society determines the right track is quote unquote Mm -hmm. and it just she gives all herself into it because she's like this is the point we're trying to make this is our big selling point yeah I I definitely think there's something there Um, it's it's important for people to know that these folks who are are, need this assistance they're not just eating your the food that you're providing or you know your your money or your signature you know it's not just going to feed the hungry it's you know it's important to inform people that we're trying to get them on their feet so that they can become you know productive members of society again or so yeah yeah, that's clearly a point that Captain Hammer never got later in the movie. <laughs> right. Useless. So yeah, and then we get kind of get this tension between Penny and Billy because Penny kind of has this kind of grassroots uh, form of like her her point of view is very like from the bottom up, and yeah. we get this clear clear distinction of what Billy's point of view is because he says homeless it's just a symptom the the disease rots through the core the fish rots from the head they say so i say cut off the head and she's kind of awkwardly like cut off the head of the human race like what do you mean (laughs) yeah i i love how he goes right up to the edge of letting his evil kind of show right there um i almost wish that they would have done something like maybe gone a little more cinematic with that moment you know maybe start to do a close-up on his face and maybe darken everything around him just just a touch maybe you know kind of i'm thinking that uh moment from fellowship of the ring where Mm -hmm. gandalf is tempted by the ring and and everything becomes dark and and scary for a second like i kind of wish that that's where he started to go or what the visual language would start to do right here in this moment um especially with her reaction of like i'm all for that I wonder, though, if that doesn't in some way happen because he stops blinking and he, like, gains that confidence that you see in his blog and he just, like, takes on that persona. So he does kind of physically show those things while not necessarily cinematically it happening that that might have been the reason i wanted it to go there because yeah i I think maybe subconsciously i was getting that from him and that makes so much sense about the blinking i didn't even really pay attention to that that he was you know yeah his confidence was definitely up in that moment okay i got two things one i don't think that there was in the cinematography budget to do anything like that Mm. Two, Travis, you likened it to the uh, Lord of the Rings scene with Gandalf 
what I was thinking when you were talking about changing the lighting uh, was the scene in in Ratatouille when Remy oh my God. starts starts throwing all the ingredients into the pot and it all of a sudden gets like dark and funny music starts playing and then he realizes that Linguini is looking at him and like the light switch flicks, flicks back on and you're like, wait, when did the lights turn off? And then for, enough for the light switch to get turned back on. A moment like that would have been great in this where he like, we just like jump in like all of a sudden we realize, oh, we, we were, we were like diving deep and then just poof we're back into normal life i also is the fish rots from the head an actual phrase oh yeah yeah okay i've only encountered it in this pod or this web series so yeah there's some variations on that i think it's uh kill the head and the body will die something like that and um, (laughs) remove the head destroy the brain yeah why are oh, no, all that these was fish? that was just Shaun of the Dead. I'm like, well, no, there's a lot of like fish sayings because Benjamin Franklin's got the house guests and fish will stink after three days. What's <laughs> it with fish? Teach a man to cut off the head of a fish, and <laughs> it'll rot for one day. Teach. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> oh no! Cut off right. the man's head and he'll rot for life. Okay, there we go. So, power into different hands. Yes, yes, thank Viva you. Viva la revolution. Penny is for revolution. <laughs> what is the point of signatures anymore? <laughs> I do. I love how she brings it all back around. Like, this petition's about the building. <laughs> it's like, subtle. Yeah. Well, I, and I like well, I like what Billy says. He says, "Put the power in different hands." He doesn't say like, "Put yeah. the power in the people's hands." He just clearly means his own hands. Again, the art of subtlety they both have in this scene. Yeah, so and then the, go ahead, just, Travis. Just a little update on the fish rotting from the head. Thank you. Um, says many countries uh, lay claim to it. Uh, I've even seen sources that place it in China, Russia, Poland, England, Greece, and so on, but with no evidence to substantiate those claims. Um, but one correspondent says that it was written in a Greek text by Erasmus, who died in 1546, but they could not substantiate that claim. So, I, I yeah, I think there's variations on it and i think it's kind of just a something that goes back it'd probably be pretty hard to pinpoint the origin yeah so i mean it's just, that was no help. just an idiom or an aphorism or whatever not nothing really yeah uh Metaphor. and then the guy comes out with the uh the briefcase of wonder flonium and it has the uh Comically the greatest one of the greatest label. jokes of all time <laughs> on it no bouncing what? yeah wonder flonium do not bounce <laughs> Uh, just Which... just just a perfect visual gag like i don't even know like how do you come up with something that good like how do you it's so good well i feel like it's kind of like the abbey normal of young frankenstein that it's just mm. kind of oh yeah let's make it real obvious for the audience I, I i don't i don't even know like if it's that like it's it's a made up it's a made up like element slash fluid it's like the idea that like this this substance is so like volatile or dangerous that but the the, the word they went with is bounce like if you bounce it it's dangerous they're it's also like the, putting um, it in a courier van <laughs> it's like like in men in black when uh when will smith like flicks the little ball and it does goes all around the headquarters mm-hmm. and then it comes back no, I'm trying to go back to what we were thinking about Wonderflonium in that it's made up nameness. Like it's kind of got like a peak made up name. Yeah, I, th- I don't know. I think Unobtainium from uh, <laughs> Avatar it probably Boo. beats it. Boo! 
There's another one from the movie uh, The Core, where it's like they build a train to go to the center of the Earth or something to restart the core, and it's it's almost like unobtainium, but I can't remember what it is there. It's it's pretty bad. Wonderflonium just has this lovely like superhero comic booky sense to it. It, it is very mm. adamantium kind of thing. It's, yeah, it's got a yeah. it's solid MacGuffin name. And so, yeah, so then kind of Felicia, like, Billy starts kind of becoming invested in the, the van, and Felicia Day is kind of like, I, I guess I'll see you around. And then she kind of just walks away. And, yeah, that's basically it for this minute as a whole. Uh, yeah. Any any, well, any thoughts on this minute? make a comment on why did she talk to him now? Yeah, I guess. And that's a very, no offense, you two, but a very, like, guy thing. It's like, oh, why now? Yeah. It's her fault. Why, yeah. did, why did she, didn't she wait? Yeah. Not to say that all humans are like that, but. No, it's fair. So what we haven't done yet is uh, kind of introduce uh, Felicia Day's career into this mix. If you guys would allow me to just quickly kind of spit out some credits for her. The guild? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So a lot of people will trace her origins as uh, being on the last season of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She's kind of a like a future slayer and she's kind of like a cast of character like of all like young actresses that kind of all like were like a gang of future slayers and then uh, years know, would years would go by. She would have like small roles on TV here and there and then she would end up being the creator, writer, and star of the internet series The Guild which ran for 65 episodes from 2007 to th- 2013. A web series that would have debuted before Dr. Horrible even came out, so that's kind of important to note. And she would continue to get many credits on TV, as well as voice roles in many animated shows and video games. <laughs> a small recurring role on Supernatural and a... Amazing. Uh, and a role on the Mystery Science Theater 3000 The Return, as well as a writing role on that show as well. Doesn't she also make a fabulous appearance in a D&D or board yeah, game? Yeah, I'm pretty sure, she, pretty podcast, sure YouTube she's... Channel? Pretty sure she's one of the uh, main contributors into Critical Role. Yeah. Travis, is that what you said? It's funny. This was definitely my first exposure to Felicia Day. Um, I wasn't a big Buffy guy. I hadn't watched The Guild uh, before this. Um, I definitely watched The Guild after this. And I, it's like going through that list, I really don't know her from that much other things, but I do, like, I've, I've followed her career, you know. <laughs> Not sound creepy. Um, we'll be watching your career like quite closely, young Skywalker. At, yeah, like I, I, I probably know her most from like watching this movie and then listening to her appearances on various podcasts. She was kind of one of the uh, returning guests for like the Nerdist podcast mm-hmm. in its early, early couple years. So um, just kind of that circle of people, I guess. I really like her, but yeah, I don't have a lot of uh, ex- exposure to Felicia Day. I'm incredibly jealous in that she has made her career being a professional nerd and just yeah. like is that. And I'm just jealous. Mm. Uh, yes, uh, professional nerddom. I was going to mention um, being the inspiration for the name of uh, our brand, the Amateur Nerds. That that is kind of oh, what we aspire yes. to be. But no, Felicia Day. I, in a very similar vein, knew her from this, and then I started watching Supernatural, and she by far is one of my favorite characters in Supernatural. She is hmm. such an amazing character, and she really brings this like life to season seven that I love. So I'm a big fan of her. And then I've watched her in a variety of other like internet appearances and podcast appearances. I have yet to dive into the guild or Buffy though. Hmm. someday. The guild is a lot of fun. It feels a little bit like this, but you know, a longer format and no singing. But 
Um, yeah, the guild is a lot of fun. That's the one thing. I'm surprised for not having any background or anything and just singing like this. And she does have quite a nice voice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of actors kind of just through their theater experience over the years have like, you like you do musicals in high school and college, and then you just have singing be part of your life for that long. That It's ne- it's never like surprising where like, oh, this person actually can sing a little. Usually it's more of a surprise when it's like, oh, that person is actually kind of a bad singer and we all make fun of them. Thinking, uh, what's his name in Les Mis was that? Uh, Russell Crowe. <laughs> Yeah, Russell Crowe was kind of the famous, like, oh, he was bad. But then, like, you, when someone like Anne Hathaway can sing, we're all like, yeah, of course Amazing. she can. Amazing. <laughs> Love her, too. Travis, so we're, we're going to wrap up, but um, I, I kind of, yeah. I, I, I offered to you earlier in the day when I was texting you about our, our recording tonight, if you had any thoughts about kind of how Dr. Horrible fits in today's political landscape, did you did you have any thoughts on that that you wanted to share? Um, I, I, I kind of struggle with that. I don't know... I'm trying to think because I don't I'm not yeah I'm not really sure um I think it fits into the mold of what I guess people today have an easier time of like blaming their problems on other people or um yeah I don't know well yeah he kind of he kind of fits this like kind of like incel stereotype where he's like uh no girl ever wants me so I'm just gonna like be evil uh, just to get her back and there's this kind of conflict yeah. there and and you in our text you said something about proud boys and I, I don't know what that means I'm, I'm not really up on my my lingo yeah it's it's just this kind of modern like political it's specifically like on the internet people just become more and more extremized by things they read and share on the internet uh, up to the point where just the kind of the misogyny and the hatred really builds okay. until they are inspired to like commit acts of political violence and then in this in this web series it's kind of interesting because we see that play out and like he literally like ends up killing people because of kind of yeah. kind of how he's treated by kind of the mainstream culture like captain hammer he, like he he gets put down by captain hammer in this way and he like he wants to rebel because his form of masculinity he feels doesn't fit the like what people think of as the norm and so he's inspired to kind of really lash out in these violent ways and in this web series we kind of glorify it because we like dr horrible as a character but like what does that have an impact on our society where we have these acts of violence and these domestic terrorists and it's it's kind of frightening to think about yeah I, I think that's valid. I guess on maybe the other hand, it's like that's always been there with supervillains. Like I'm I'm so used to, you know, in reading comic books that the villains have always been there. We just never really see their side of the story. We never get to find out that they like a girl and didn't have a, a good chance to make a good first impression. And, you know, we're just seeing that kind of that side of it here. Um, it's kind of, it's timing timing wise. It, it's fitting you know with uh, the whole joker thing coming out and yeah good point all that that you're seeing you know another villain who, who you find you know or get to see as a person first and that sort of thing even though here dr horrible is already established but he's still trying to make a name for himself but yeah i don't know i think it's that's it's there for sure but super villains have always been there since we've first started telling stories about heroes Oh, yeah. I and I think I think kind thing. of the idea is how like it's not that Dr. Horrible was like written to address these issues on the Internet, but the idea that through like almost that this series, it was either predictive of kind of how that culture would evolve or that over okay. time that we kind of have to reinterpret how we view this series because of how the yeah. Internet has changed things. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. But um, uh, 
Yeah, I, I just I just want to ask that just because it's in, it's yeah. interesting to view like how even 10 or 11 years can can change our interpretation of a thing. And, and obviously it's a thing that I it's a series that I still love and get a lot of joy out of. But it's to me, it's always like it's always interesting to see these kind of branching, branching out of meaning that we can kind of gather over time. Like when is a yeah. story just a, a simple self-contained story? And when do its meanings start to gain significance outside of that? It's it's just always it's it's fascinating me i I'm, I'm just thinking of like any like any story ever told uh like like spartacus i was just listening to a podcast about the movie spartacus earlier today and kind of how you take that story and then dalton trumbo writes it and it kind of gets all mixed up in his like uh house on american activities committee communism scandal and all of that kind of flows into the making of that movie and now that's what we remember that movie for less so because it's a it's an okay movie but we remember it because it's kind of this it has this relationship to history so just just a long way of saying i think it's neat (laughs) (laughs) yeah i would recommend i don't know if you've ever heard of the book called soon i will be invincible uh book probably written maybe right around the time this came out even uh mid 2000s uh, was written by austin grossman and it's it's a story about superheroes and supervillains and it's this villain who is you see you read the book from from his perspective and it's it's kind of leads up to him finding a way to have ultimate power and take his you know revenge on this justice league type group of heroes and it, it it's more it, it's not comedy you know like this primarily is it's it's more dr- uh, drama but i would highly recommend that if you're kind of looking for something that touches on the you know the story from the villain's point of view Great. Thank you. Um, Condra, I'm, I'm sorry, I kind of always hog the podcast when I get onto the like political stuff. Is there anything else you wanted to add about this segment of the minute before we wrap up? Uh, I think that's the perfect segue for Travis to maybe tell us where people can find him on the internet, because I think his book recommendation might have something to do with what else he does on the internet. Oh, very neat. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you can find me on my podcast, Real Comic Heroes. That's real with two E's, like the movie Real. And over there, we we have a big list of comic book movies, and not not only comic book movies. We also do Star Wars and James Bond, and we've covered the Planet of the Apes movies. But uh, we go chronological. So we started in 1951 with uh, Superman and the Mole Men. Cool. And we, like I said, work chronologically towards the present. And at the time of this recording, we have just hit the 1990s. So we've we've covered the 89 Batman movie. We've covered uh, uh, most recently uh, Back to the Future Part 2. Got Part 3 coming up very, very soon. Um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from 1990. We just did with uh, Ralph Atanasia from Cake Boss. So nice. we... Uh, have a lot of fun over there just just going through the genre and seeing how they've these movies have changed over the years so yeah you can find real comic heroes just search that pretty much anywhere you'll find us and then um i if you're a fan of the movies by minutes format i did uh, watchmen minutes primarily last year and we did the uh, director's cut of Zack snyder's watchmen one minute at a time and then hopefully sometime next year i'll be doing uh iron giant minute 
Oh, cool. Um, thanks so much. That's a, that's an awesome kind of not, not pedigree per se, but just like a list of things mm-hmm. to be working on. I, uh, sounds, sounds like a, just a fun time that you get to have lots of, lots of good yeah, podcasting. Yeah. I definitely enjoy it. So, <laughs> oh, you do enjoy it. <laughs> I, I'd be interested in a podcaster who was just miserable. Just like uh, slogging through another day of talking. <laughs> uh, I hate it. Tyler, wait until high school musical. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, okay. So we could stop now. Um, Condra, where can people find us? They can find us on the Twitter at Amateur Nerds. Email us at AmateurNerdsPresent at gmail.com. Rate, review, subscribe. Follow Travis on all of his things. Do us all a favor in the Movies by Minute community and show some love to our fellow creators. And yeah, Travis, thank you so much for stopping by. We we thank really you, loved thank having you. Thank you. you. No, this was great. It was a pleasure to get to, get to chat with you guys, and uh, I, I love this movie or web series. Um, I love this story, so uh, it was great to get to talk about it. Awesome, and as we say at the end of every episode, uh, the, the, the the little finger thing that Neil Patrick Harris does at the end of that song, that's, that's what we say you're at obs- the end of every episode. You're obsessed with that thing. <laughs> okay, um, this has been the evil podcast of evil. I've been Tyler Boudreaux, the podcast king of Chicago. I have been Condra, the, mm, I was going to say Mistress of Darkness, but that's the Maleficent, the Mysterious Sorceress. Travis, what's your uh, moniker? Uh, I wasn't prepared for this. Um, No, I got nothing. That's a solid (laughs) moniker, too. (laughs) Travis Bowe, nothing. I'm not not good at improv. (laughs) Uh, Okay, so we'll see you next time for another evil podcast. Uh, Signing off. Thanks so much, guys.